Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Gentle Parents Unite weekly podcast with Sujai Johnson, Margie Zintz, and Vivek Patel. We are glad to have you here. We share concepts and strategies that help parents have more harmonious relationships with their kids and different ideas that can help you get through the struggles of parenting. We know parenting can be hard sometimes, and we want to offer whatever support we can. You can find us on Facebook by typing in Gentle Parents Unite, and also on our Patreon, also by typing in Gentle Parents Unite. So grab a notebook and a pen so you can jot down your ideas and questions. And we look forward to spending the next little bit of time with you, sharing ideas around parenting. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Gentle Parents Unite podcast. I'm very happy to be here for another week with my good friend and collaborator, Sujai Johnson. Hello, Sujai. Hello, Vivek. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am wonderful. Happy to be here and really excited about our guest today. I am too. We are here with Leslie Ariola Hillenbrand, who is the founder of Latinx Parenting and also has been a, fr- a friend for a while and somebody I really respect, somebody who does really great work in the field of parenting and spreading social justice awareness and parenting concepts. And uh, I'm really happy to have her on the program. Hello, Leslie. How are you today? Hi, Vivek. I'm doing really well. Hi, Sujai. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to our show. And I'm so, so grateful that you have taken the time to join us here and share your work with us. I know that um, you do work uh, on Facebook under the brand name Latinx Parenting. Do you have any other social media sites as well or website? That's it, except for Instagram. You can find me at Latinx Parenting there as well. So it's mainly just between Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. And you do uh, a lot of work around anti-oppression. And um, one thing that I've noticed, uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't really get that many posts on my newsfeed, but I do get your posts on my newsfeed from your page. And one thing that I noticed is that you do a lot of work around being trauma informed, which I really, which I really appreciate myself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important. It's how I was trained. Um, I was trained by a woman named Ruth Beaglehole who founded at the time it was called the center for um, nonviolent parenting and education. Mm. Um, And so it transitioned into echo parenting and I think now it's echo training and she's no longer with the organization, but there was always a big emphasis as I was training that we wanted to make sure we were trauma-informed and healing-centered. Um, and so for me, what that means is to just make sure that everybody has a story, everybody has a lived narrative. Um, you know, we can, we can teach people, but if we're not understanding that everybody has unique histories, you know, we, we, we're not doing anybody a service. Um, so that's kind of what, what the lens that I operate um, from. Yeah, including an anti-oppression lens and a, is and a and a um, you know a healing lens is so important in the parenting education work that we do. Um, I'd love to hear more about your parenting philosophy and what you share with people, Leslie. Can you can you give us kind of like an overview of your philosophy? Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, it all integrates together. So um, I really focus on parenting as a form of activism. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really believe that we as parents have the power to, I mean, obviously we're, we're building new generations, but I really feel like if we are intentional about it, about the messages that we're conveying to our children, about the way that we show up in the world, what we're doing to, um, to kind of push for change, you know, our children are, are witnessing that. And so we do that through nonviolence, nonviolence with ourselves, um, by being self-empathetic, by modeling what self-compassion and self-forgiveness looks like and being gentle with ourselves. Um, and we do that with nonviolence with our children and with our families and with the greater world. And so what that means really is that we're looking at um, people as, you know, I, I just mentioned that we all have narratives, but we all have basic human needs. Um, and we all have feelings that arise from those needs. And so behaviors, as you well know, arise from an attempt to meet basic human needs. And so mm. sometimes our, our needs feel in conflict, but they're really just an attempt to meet those needs. And so depending on whether they're perceived as met or unmet, we're going to behave a certain way. Um, and so we tend to, in the work that I do, at least, I tend to see not just my children, but everybody, my partner, Uh, my colleagues, you know, and so that really helps for me not to take things personally, (laughs) which is, you know, we're we're human, so we we tend to take things personally, Um, but if we operate from this philosophy of living and parenting, it's really um, helpful to to look at humans as just trying to meet our basic human needs, Um, and so we have the social justice component, we have the nonviolent communication, the nonviolence component, Um, And so recently I've been very firm about making sure that there's also an anti-racism, anti-oppression component, Mm. um, which I've always, I've I've always considered myself to be an anti-racist even before I knew exactly what that meant. Um, Because I think it's a, um, it's a quote that, you know, it's not enough to not be racist. It's, you have to be actively anti-racist and so I've really been trying to integrate what that means for me as a business Um, and so you know we can we can definitely talk more about that but it's it all goes along with the other frameworks right so the the framework of nonviolence, the framework of um, social justice so there's a lot of frameworks but they're all essentially you know rooted in love they're rooted in healing um, for us they're rooted in in healing for the collective and um and I try to do this also from a, a really culturally sustaining way because the majority of the families that I work with are Latinx or they identify as having roots in Latin America. Um, and so the way that I would work with white families is very different than the way that I would work with uh, my Latinx families, given the cultural, um, you know, sustaining lens and given the history. Of, what does cultural um, sustaining mean, Leslie? So there's, there's a, a phrase called culturally relevant, right? And mm. so when you're building curriculum, you want to make sure that it's culturally relevant. But I think what mm. gets left out is that we want to sustain that culture. Ah. Um, and so it's kind of the difference between asking a family to assimilate rather than to integrate and keep all of the wonderful things about their culture. And so mm. I want to make sure that culture is sustained um, and that we're able to see many of the of the strengths that we as Latinx families hold um, Mm. and also address that there are really harmful behaviors that get passed down um, that are not actually a part of our culture, but are a response to colonial harm that was done to our people. Right. Um, And so, you know, yeah, so there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, And so I really, you know, I really, when people have criticized me because they're like, you know, 
la chancla, which is like a sandal. It's like an emblem of like physical punishment and, and corporal punishment in Latinx culture. And I will, I mean, I have this whole campaign that I'm working on right now called End Chancla Culture. Mm. Um, and people are like, how can you say that? It's just a part of our culture. Mm. And I'm just like, no, this is abuse. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. this, is, this is not honoring of our children. This is not being respectful of their needs. This is not looking at them as whole um, and complete human beings. And so what mm-hmm. I've been learning is that we actually had those ancestral practices long before colonialism. And many indigenous cultures still operate from this idea that children are whole, they are complete, and they need to be honored. And so for me, it's really reclaiming our ancestral practices um, and decolonizing parenting in a sense so that we can, we can start to operate from, um, you know, being in connection and being in love. I am personally so glad that you brought that up about, um, you know, uh, Joshua Jernigan is a admin over there at GPU and he's a, um, First Nations man, and he talks a lot about how traditional parenting, and I was raised around um, a lot of that actually traditional parenting through um, First Nations peoples. Um, I was raised on a reservation in eastern Washington, and, you know, I was exposed to some of those traditional parenting tools where they treat children as real people and they get down and they show you about the land and they show you about you know everything around you and bring you into your awareness and your consciousness and some of those were the greatest tools that were imparted to me throughout my childhood that have carried me through my entire life and um I've uh Joshua and I talk about this a lot how um you know, we talk about traditional parenting as this mainstream thing where we treat children as less than and we hit them and we try and mold them. And that's actually not truly traditional parenting and moving away from that term of traditional parenting being this mainstream thing we're seeing now because there was a time when children really were treated with um, respect and the results were very well-rounded human beings. Right, right. And I think that's so beautiful. You know, I think we're reclaiming um, a lot of those practices now. And so we didn't invent this, right? Like even before all of the research about the brain and all of the things that we know now, we didn't invent that a child should be honored. It's actually, you know, parenting can be a very spiritual practice if you, if you come to it with that awareness that we are all kind of spiritual beings and we're all trying to meet our needs and, you know, we can be in this really beautiful relationship with each other. Um, and that didn't come, that's not new, you know, it's not something yeah. that was just invented, like, a, you know, within the last decade, even. Um, no, yeah. it's um, something that we've consciously moved away from. And we talked about this with um, Vanessa Laponte and um, she was talking about how today's parenting is based very much in, the comforts of the parent it's based very much in creating a space where the parent can be the most comfortable and have the best of everything and children are kind of seen and not heard and Mm -hmm. everything around our ideas like cry it out and spanking and shutting down emotions and all of these things that we do they're very much just tied into um what can be convenient Mm -hmm. as opposed 
to, um, you know, it's, it's tied into the modernalities of today's mainstream living and the way that we live and bringing our children closer can heal so much of the things. And you said close to the beginning of this conversation, how you truly believe that the way we raise our children has the power to change the world. And, you know, I, I can't agree with you any more on that. They, they are the future. We're all headed the same direction. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. those and they kids are, are everything. Absolutely. And they are the present. You know, I feel like I find myself just so reminded by the way that I need to live my life just by watching my toddler, you know, like mm. just, just seeing her curiosity and seeing how easily she can play and seeing how my, um, my eight year old was just so sweet. The other day she came to me and she's like, mom, I just want to say, you know, I'm so proud of you because oh. you, you built Latinx parenting and it was nothing. It was just an idea and, she oh. <laughs> and, and you built it. And I was like, wow, you know, I got teary eyed because I was just oh. like, wow, you're, you're just so giving and not expecting anything back for that. Um, uh, and watching. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I'm so inspired by them. And I think allowing us as parents to be inspired and to take cues from them um, and the way that they live their lives without even, you know, having to really be intentional about it. They're just, they just are. Yeah. Um, I think that that's, you know, yes, they're definitely our future, but they're also very much reminding us to be in the present. So true. And, and I've seen with, um, you know, the, the recent civil unrest and all of the protests happening and the way that the young people are maneuvering this, you know, there are so many people between the ages of like 16 to 25 out there. And these young people today are so inspiring to me. Like my nieces and nephews and my children, my older kids, they, they bring tears to my eyes with the way they're going out there and making change in the world right now today, you know? Thanks. When my kid was, was born, Leslie, you know, you really make me think of, uh, think of how I uh, interacted with her back in those early days. I mean, I always have, but, just knowing that I had that, it, that instinct in those early days to really see her as a divine guide that had been, you know, landed in my doorstep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I always, uh, always did my best to treat her in a way where she felt like I was learning as much from her or mm -hmm. more than um, ever I could teach her. And uh, it really created a mutuality in our, in our learning relationship, you know? And uh, I think that mutuality is something that's so powerful and missing in a lot of parent-child relationships because that mutuality opens kids up to, to listening to us uh, and to uh, receiving our wisdom without resistance and uh, and you know even now my kid's 23 and um, she has her own mind she has her own values she has her own opinions and she actively seeks out my opinions on things even mm -hmm. now because she knows it's safe to do so and she knows that I truly value her opinion as well and so it's it's this beautiful back and forth. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that's something that parents can, uh, you know, they can really uh, create early on, create that pattern early on so that it stays for the whole, the whole relationship. Yeah, absolutely. It's reminding me of that book. I don't know if you, either of you have, have read it. It's called Everyday Blessings by uh, John Kabat-Zinn and Myla uh, Kabat-Zinn. And so his, their whole idea is that children are sovereign you know they come into the world as sovereign beings mm. and i just find that that's so um 
you know, it's just, it really illustrates and gives us permission also that we are also sovereign, <laughs> you know, mm. that we also, um, we, we also came into this life with a divine purpose and our children yeah. have too. And it's not so much about controlling what their divine purpose is. There's no way that we can do that, but it's about allowing and, and trying to understand and, and being curious. And so all of these things are just very aligned with that, um, you know, with that idea that we are all sovereign beings and we all have these gifts and, um, you know, and, and oppression really is what tries to kind of like hammer that out of us. Mm, <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, yeah. And we start so young. Um, we start pretty much from the cradle oppressing and grooming children to either oppress or be oppressed through the way that we are doing today's modern mainstream parenting <laughs> as i state very clearly modern mainstream parenting not traditional parenting forms but um and in today's modern mainstream parenting we start teaching entitlement and oppression through our own behaviors and actions and the way we're approaching the teaching process and um the way that we're carrying ourselves in that role as a guide and a teacher to our children through um, acting entitled to all the possessions in the home through, you know, allowing them to cry it out through spanking them through shutting down their emotions through all of these things that are part of our core value system as gentle parents that we're moving away from. And I think that the work that, you know, we, you and Vivek and I and, um, a lot of other people are doing being sure to integrate the social justice aspect is really important because I think if we're not doing that, then we're just creating some new breed of entitlement and oppression because they're not consciously seeing the impacts of their behaviors on the, the world as a whole and how it, how our behaviors ripple out from us and affect those around us and we don't really see that really clearly unless we're in these conscious places that we come to clearly yeah or unless we ourselves experience them right so you know we talk about black parents not really having a choice to have those conversations with their children um, and so right. i feel like those of us who have more privilege because we do have lighter skin it's not an option like we have to talk about these kinds of things with our children um, it's not race, not just race, it's class, it's um, gender, you know, it's, it's all of these things that maybe we didn't receive openly these conversations by our parents, you know, but now we are tasked with making sure that we take it upon ourselves to educate ourselves and to, to really weave in all of these things into our day to day with our children. You know, I had um, a conversation with Julie Lycott Hames and, and a few other people that you know, one, one of the suggestions was we don't want to just sit our children down and say, this is the way the world works, you know, and this is what you should do about it. And this is your role as an advocate and as an ally. It's about looking at your, you're looking at your book library, looking at your, um, the content that your children are consuming, looking at, um, you know, the neighbors that are around you. And it's really just about noticing, right? And noticing those little things that maybe would have gone over your head as a child because um, nobody pointed them out. And so, yes, that, that social justice piece is imperative. It's, it's not a choice anymore. 
You know, no, like, <laughs> no, it's really not a choice. And, and I, I just don't see, and, and I have a hard time saying this because I know that a lot of people, they internalize some of the things we say, feeling like it comes as some kind of a judgment. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying this to judge anybody for sure, but I, I just don't really see how gentle you can be if you're perpetuating cycles of abuse and oppression. Mm -hmm. And if your child is extremely white and they're going out there um, taking advantage of this white system, which is fine to have privilege, it's okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if they're going out there taking advantage of this white system while they're stepping over people of all of these other colors, then you've missed a big piece of being gentle. Yeah. And, you know, um, similarly, you know, like you were saying, a black person does not have the leisure to sit around and not mention those things and not talk about those things. And, you know, you're, you're actually, you know, you're perpetuating these cycles of pain and abuse and damage and, I was listening to, right before we got on this call, I was listening to um, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, and he said, more is caught than is taught. Mm -hmm. Um, I think his name is Emmanuel Acho is his last name. I think I'm pronouncing his last name right. But um, I I really loved that because I feel like it fell so in line with everything that um, the work that we do here is... So much is being caught from media, from our parents, from our schools, from our teachers, from our peers and all around us. And if we're not consciously talking about it, then we're missing all of these things that are happening. And, you know, some of them might seem might seem rather small and, um, you know, insignificant in the big scope of things and people think, oh, I'm aware, I'm conscious, I'm paying attention. And, um, you know, we miss these things that might seem kind of small in the scope of things. And then when we bring it into our consciousness, we can look at it and go, well, maybe in the scope of things that it's, it's smallish, but that doesn't make it right. And why not step away from this little thing that I could be doing that could be harmful to somebody? Yeah, yeah. And I think it it provides a really good example to our kids that we're, we're human, you know, we're gonna mess up, we're gonna do things that cause harm inadvertently. Um, And it's part of growing and it's part of learning. And it's part of making sure that we, you know, we're not in this fixed mindset of I have all the answers, because none of us do. Um, And so I feel like, you know, we have to, we have to remember that it's okay to be humble about these things. Hmm. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of parents get really heated and um, really uncomfortable with these conversations around yeah. race in particular right now. And, and it's, it's like, you know, all of their shame wounds are getting triggered and all of their, um, you know, there's, there's obviously things that are, that are coming to the surface that are really difficult to grapple with. And, and I have all the compassion for that. And we have to work to dismantle these oppressive systems. So we can't just live in our wounds, you know, we have to actually do the inner work to figure out why is this stirring sensitivity in me? You know, why is this stirring this discomfort in me? And, you and know, I think brave. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think that, um, you know, particularly going through the, you know, um, 
the 80s and the, the colorblind 80s and 90s, everybody wants to believe that they're not racist and everyone wants to believe that they're good people and that they're not hurting others. And um, it's interesting, and I think that this is also tied into the way that we parent with a lack of accountability around our own actions. Mm -hmm. um, when we discover we're hurting somebody, our first reaction is defensiveness, right? And sometimes if we're not conscious or aware, we can't work past that defensiveness. The first thing we want to do is put up walls and protect ourselves. And um, so it, it gets hard to take the next step past it because we were never given those relational tools to take the next step past it and recognize that there were mistakes and while it may have been better, it wasn't a place to stop, that's for real sure. <laughs> and, um, you know, we still had all of this stuff to unpack. And that's really key to everything that we're talking about, too, is that, you know, we just, we just don't stop. There's no place where we actually get there and then we're done because yeah. we're always going to be kind of wrong <laughs> with lots of room for growth. Right. You know, I, uh, I taught a, um, a workshop on... Uh, for parents on how to talk to your kids about racism. Lately, I've been doing all these workshops. It's amazing. I've been talking to kids. I've done, we've done three workshops so far. We've talked to kids um, about racism and how to be active anti-racists. And then we've done two workshops for parents on how to talk to their kids. Um, I call it talking to parents about talking to their kids about racism. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and in the last... Uh, in the last workshop that I did, I was talking about being a, being a lifelong learner that way, like you're talking about, you know, being open to learning and growing. And I was telling about how, like, I've been a feminist ally uh, in my own life, in my own practice since the early 90s, in my, in my mid-20s, when, I, when that, that light kind of went on. And I was like, oh, misogyny is a real thing. I had no idea. And, uh, and suddenly I saw it. And so I became, I, I kind of like, that's when my social justice lens really turned on and I, and I started happily calling myself a feminist. And then just, just yesterday, just yesterday, just, just before that workshop, I was on a post with someone and we were going back and forth about stuff. And then this, um, this woman told me that something that I was saying was sexist and I hadn't seen it that way. And I was just, and I was just so, and it made sense. And I was so grateful. And I was just like, was expressing my gratitude for her to take the time to explain it to me. And, uh, and that I felt, you know, I felt so much richer for having had a deeper understanding. And, uh, and that's after like 30 years of, of studying this stuff and doing this work, you know, it's, and I don't, I don't consider myself like I know any, anything really. And I really uh, feel, um, I really feel like that attitude of being able to always be open to learning. I didn't say us, listen, listen, young lady, I've been doing feminism longer right. than you've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> I would like, I would, I would, that would not be very productive for anybody, you know? And, oh. uh, and I think, and so, you know, when I, when I heard you at the beginning, Leslie, you talked about how important self-compassion is. And I think for me, one of the things about self-compassion is that it allows me to be open like that. If I took it as an attack, if I didn't have a sense of my own, love for myself, I might have taken that as an attack and I wouldn't have been able to hear it. But I was able to breathe into it and, and accept it. And I think that for a lot of parents, self-compassion is one of the hardest things for them to, to manage. And I'm wondering how you, how you help parents and guide them through, through finding um, compassion for themselves in the midst of everything that's going on. 
Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Vivek, because um, it's it's a huge component of the work that I do is is very much rooted in inner child work, right. um, in reparenting of ourselves. And, you know, a lot of times we don't notice these wounds and we go into defensive modes because we didn't have the models in our parents and our caregivers of humility, of taking responsibility, of apologizing, you know, of, of admitting when, when they were wrong. Right. And so for us, this is a new muscle to stretch. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, I have a lot of compassion for parents, even, even in their woundedness, where it's like, wow, that, it's really hard living in your body when you're defensive. You know, it's really hard living in your body when you feel all of this tension and you don't know what to do with it, except to express it in these very, um, you know, in these very uh, harsh ways. Yeah. And, and so, yes, a big part of what we do, and I'm actually running a series right now um, on reparenting of ourselves and on noticing where the wounds are and really looking at ourselves as still having very much this inner child that is wanting to feel protection, that is wanting to get their needs met, you know, and part of the practice is to have pictures of ourselves up in our house, you know, of, of ourselves mm. when we were children, mm. um, creating an altar for our inner child. Oh. Um, and so it's these practices that really help us remember that we're still these little, you know, we're still these little humans that, that want that unconditional love. And so sometimes it's really difficult to be humble and to give unconditional love because we revert into that wounded inner child. Um, and so part of it is very much wanting to reparent and be the inner parent, right? Be the inner, and I, I have the inner niña, the inner madre, the inner mother, right. um, and helping our inner child feel safe to explore and to play and to, to feel safe and to feel whole again. Like you're, you know, you're saying that you have been doing this inner work for a long time. And so you didn't take it personally. And so for a lot of people, this may be new, you know, it may be new that they realize, oh, I actually, I can repair it myself. I don't, it's not the end, you know, it's not the end of, of the parenting of little Leslie. Um, mm. You know, I'm not, I'm not set in this way. And so it's really about noticing where those wounds are, tending to them, taking accountability when you can, realizing also that you're not responsible for every single reaction that you get. <laughs> You know? Right. And so that's been a, a work in progress for me. Just having this platform is that I've had to notice where I genuinely and authentically need to take responsibility. And then other times there are definitely people that are operating from their wounds, um, wounds. at me. And so, you know, it, it's, it's been trying to distinguish, you know, how, how people are operating and it's daily work and it's laborious, but it's so worth it because it allows us to be present with our children it allows us to give ourselves that self-compassion to remember that we are worthy of love. You know, we ourselves are worthy of love and we're worthy of, of protection and we're worthy of care. Yeah. You know, I have this, I have this saying uh, that I memed that says, uh, you do not have to change anything to be worthy of infinite love. And there was this time a number of years ago where I was doing a workshop, a conflict resolution workshop with a bunch of kids from grade three, four, five. So I do a lot of volunteering with youth organizations. And I was doing, and I had a bunch of role plays and everything that for them to do, and it was really fun, but they weren't interested at all. And so they were just like running around and ma making a nuisance and whatever and climbing on the furniture. 
And the kind of person I am, I, if kids are like that, I just go with their direction. So we were, I just joined in with them. And there was a couple of groups that wanted to do the role plays, but the rest of them didn't. So I just let them run up, climb on the tables. And I helped them create kind of like an obstacle course that they could play on. And then the kids that were doing the role plays, I, I, worked, I was kind of going back and forth. And towards the end of the workshop, um, I just kind of ended it early because nobody was really into it. And, uh, and at the end of the workshop, everybody was kind of like rummaging around and we had like 10 minutes left. And I thought, I'm just gonna do an experiment. So I pulled out, I pulled out my, my, you do not have to change anything to be worthy of infinite love meme. And I went from kid to kid, some were in groups of two and three, some were on their own. Um, some of them were sitting and reading and some of them were running around. But all of them, I, I, I took their attention from them and I said, hey, you know what? I make memes. And they were like, you make memes? Whoa. And I said, yeah, I make memes. <laughs> They're like, oh, can I see a meme? I said, sure. And then I would show them this meme. And it was one of the most profound experiences of my life because I didn't expect, I didn't know what was going to happen, right? So I didn't expect what happened to happen. This is about 30 kids I had. So not a small number and a very diverse, very diverse group because the organization that i a volunteer with primarily they're called future aces here in in toronto um they are very very keen on diversity and uh they do outreach to all sorts of different areas of the city and it's really inclusive and i just love it they do amazing work anyway so i'm doing this workshop and i show each of these kids this this meme and every one of them without exception would just stop and their breathing shifted and the tension left their shoulders and they just became very still and they just would read it and they would go, oh, yeah, oh, I was so, it was like, like the truth of their, of their in, inherent worth really touched them in that moment, you know? I'm getting a little teared up just thinking about it because mm -hmm. it wasn't one or two, it wasn't even half, it was every single one of those 30 kids, all of them stopped dead and let the message into their hearts and they all felt it. Mm. And they could also feel the loss of it, I think, is one of the things that was, was happening, was they weren't feeling that they were being treated that way, but they felt the truth of it. And it just really, I don't know, it really uh, inspired me. I think this happened in 2015. It really inspired me um, on the stuff that, that we share, you know, this, like you were just talking about, like trying to access this unconditional love inside of us. I often call it minimally conditional love because actually being unconditional is so hard that mm -hmm. we can at least, it can at least aim for minimally conditional mm -hmm. and make it a little more minimally conditional every day. But just watching these kids, watching the inner child that wasn't, it was like the child that will one day be an inner child, feel that message. Uh, it was just so uh, moving for me. It gave me so much uh, hope for what we, what we teach, you know? Yeah. Wow. Just holding that. That's just yeah. such a beautiful, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed to have a lot of experiences with young people like that. I've been doing so much work with young people over the years and always, always from this philosophy, even when I was, even when I was a punk kid, I was still, <laughs> I was still aware of not wanting to teach, treat other punk kids like I was treated by, by the adults in my life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like a lot of us who start this work are because we remember that, you know, we remember what it feels like to be hurt and we remember mm. what it feels like to to have to grieve not having an adult be that protection for us yeah so you know it's really amazing what you and what sujai and what i i guess have have turned our wounds into <laughs> yeah right um because how did you come oh how did i come to this work yeah how did you come to this work 
Um, I got pregnant and I was a preschool teacher before this, um, before becoming a mother. I, I was, I had a preschool class of 12 for about mm. three years. And before mm. that I was a preschool assistant and, um, and I started noticing that I would get all of the, I was the younger teacher. Um, and I would get all of the quote unquote bad kids, right? Uh. All the students were like, you go to Miss Leslie. And so the only thing that I would do different than these other teachers was connect with these kids. Mm. Um, and they would thrive in my classroom. Mm. And so Amazing. I started really noticing why that would be. But I also started noticing that when they would go home for Christmas break or, you know, the, ho the holiday, any holiday, they would come back and I would start seeing a lot of these same behavioral problems. Right. Um, and so I started realizing that parents have a tremendous impact. I mean, I knew that, you know, but I feel like that was the one experience that really, it really hit me like, wow, actually I want to be working with parents because mm. yes, preschool teachers, teachers are extremely valuable, but ultimately kids go home, you know, right. home and, and if there's disconnection in the home, then that's going to have a bigger effect than if there's disconnection in the classroom for yeah. six hours a day or whatever it was. Um, and so yeah, I here to my eye, Leslie, um, really <laughs> impactful. Wow. Yeah. And, and I got pregnant um, in 2011 and I realized that I didn't know, I knew how I didn't want to be as a parent. I knew that I mm. didn't want the same kind of relationship that I had with my mom. Um, but I didn't know how I wanted to parent. And right. so I started going to therapy. I've actually been in and out of therapy since I was about nine. Um, but I went back to therapy when I got pregnant and I started realizing bound, you know, what boundaries were and, um, and what it meant to protect my energy and what it meant to really start over. Um, and so that was really empowering for me. And so after that, my, you know, my daughter, I really prioritized making sure that her birth was gentle and she was born at home. Um, and so from there on, you know, I just really committed to this practice um, and vowed never to, never to spank, you know, and I, I have not to this day. I've wanted to. <laughs> you know there's times where she definitely pushes the buttons that she didn't put there but she knows where they are yeah. um and so it's been you know it's been a journey and it's been eight and a half years of of a lot of healing um and really pushing myself to to really practice what i preach is what it is mm -hmm. yeah. that is incredibly beautiful your children are very, uh, very lucky to have you and have such a conscious mother that takes the time to really, you know, do the healing and do the work and unpack that proverbial backpack and <laughs> get things, um, you know, and the impact can go so far beyond your own children, our own children, you know, um, those ripple effects are real and they they branch out to everybody in our lives that we touch and everybody in the lives of our children that our children touch and the the possibilities are infinite yeah yeah and i think that we all have that power you know we all have that we we may not always have the capacity for it i think that we as parents sometimes forget how much power we actually have to 
heal ourselves, right? And to, to really embody this connected relationship with our children. And, mm. and so I just, you know, I just want to encourage parents that it's, it's okay to mess up, you know, it's okay to, to get it wrong some days or for a whole week, you can get it wrong, you know, and you can always, you can always come back and you can focus on the repair. And I think this pandemic has been really difficult yeah. um, for a lot of us. And, and so I think that, you know, that stress is, is harder right now. Um, but there's always repair, right? Like there's always an opportunity and Vivek, you know, this, I think you and I have shared before, you know, your experiences with your daughter and, and repairing things that happened a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and so I really appreciate that because it's, it, it's hopeful, you know, it's really hopeful. Yeah, for sure. You know, just the other day I was talking to her and I was saying that, you know, we go through, we go through regular reevaluations of our relationship and our communication. It's just part of what we do and have always done because I didn't want to ever just accept the way things were. I wanted to always keep evolving. I actually said to her, you know, kiddo, I'm really, um, I'm really grateful for the fact that we have a relationship where we can always, um, you know, be honest with each other and keep working on our relationship and noticing areas. I said, because when you were born, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I knew what I did. Like you said, I knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't really know what I did want to do. I call it the don't do and the do do. I knew, I knew the don't do, but I didn't really know the do do. And so I was kind of figuring it out as I went along. And, uh, and I said, I really appreciate, you know, that you had to take the brunt of a lot of that learning. And, uh, and so we're still, we're still, you know, in some ways, we're still learning about things between us that happened back then. And, uh, and we were talking about how, like, there's some things that she doesn't feel comfortable talking to me about. And uh, that, that's just kind of being revealed recently. And we're just kind of working our way through that. But here we are, two adults, you know, and she's 23, that's why I say that. Here we are, two adults that have this deep, long-lasting relationship that are still in an active process of learning about each other, of evolving our communication with each other, of looking honestly at where we're open and where we might not be open and what we might need to do in order to bridge those gaps so that we can, um, you know, keep getting closer and keep deepening our communication. And I just felt, you know, we didn't have an answer at the time. We just created some questions um, but I just felt so, uh, what's the, I don't even know what the word is. I just felt so fortunate, so blessed, um, so honored by her and by, uh, you know, whatever insight that I had 23 years ago to do things this way, that we're able to still have conversations that, where our, our relationship is evolving. And I really think that wherever, uh, and I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mentioning this to, to parents just now, that wherever you are on your relationship and on your path with your kid, um, it's there's always an opportunity to deepen it. There's all, like you said, there's always an opportunity to repair. There's always an opportunity to create more openness and more connection and more trust. It just really takes, it really takes being willing to, to shift inside, you know, to shift who we are, who, who we, not who we are, but maybe shift closer to who we actually are, you know, right. beyond the trauma, beyond the patterns that were imposed upon us. Because there are so many obstacles that parents face when trying to do gentle parenting. That's one of the reasons that having, uh, you know, like a, a, someone that can support you uh, through it because it can be so helpful. Like you have your um, coach. Do you do coaching, Leslie? I do. I do. I have yeah. very limited capacity right now. So. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, do. I do do individual yeah. yeah. And Sujai and I have our Patreon space where we uh, give people really intimate support. Because um, there's so many obstacles and so many challenges on this on this path, partially because 
healing is difficult and partially because it's a whole different paradigm for how we treat kids and how we interact with kids and paradigm switching is hard it's really really hard yeah. i often say trying to switch paradigms hurts like having a cheese grater rubbed across your skin because uh, mm -hmm. uh because it's just it's just re it's really in a way it's changing how we see the very sense of how the world works yeah and i always say chase the cheese grater <laughs> you know and, and it ties uh, back into so, what we were talking about earlier about how you know um when we discover that everything we knew was wrong it's like it really shakes the earth underneath you right yeah yeah it reminds me of birth you know it mm. really reminds me of childbirth and we're oh. birthing this new paradigm and it hurts it's laborious and it's taking a long time and it's painful you know it can be all these things and 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 it can be so transformative i mean it's there's nothing really more transformative i think person you know i can speak for myself but i i liken it to birthing this new paradigm and so all of us collectively are in this this process of birthing it and i just find it so mm. holy like i just i think it's just so um such a beautiful you know, time right now, it, it looks awful, right? I think that the lines are blurred right now between the death of the old paradigm and the birth of the yeah. new paradigm. And we're yeah, kind of yeah, all in, yeah. that, in that space. But I think that we're all going to be better for it once we're on the other side and we have this, this beautiful life and, you know, and it's going to look very different and people may not experience the same kinds of privileges, right? But right. I think if we look at ourselves as a human race, as many people are saying, then, then collectively we're all going to be better for it. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. For sure. Agreed. In balanced community infrastructures, um, like Leslie's talking about, you know, ideas for the, what happens after what we're experiencing right now politically in our culture and society, um, the COVID-19 and all of the civil unrest. And I think that if we can see a model of society where each individual, regardless of race, creed, gender, ability, any of those things, each person has a valuable role within that society infrastructure and that each role is valued, um, you know, we put so much value right now on the money-making roles and everybody else falls underneath the umbrella of the oppression of that money. And in a more balanced society, we can see humans doing the human things that work really well within their own strengths and their own abilities and everybody having a great value within that society. And that model of society can share equality with all people. Yeah, yeah. And what you're saying, Sujai, reminds me so much of just the different roles that we can occupy to dismantle these systems and to birth this new world, right? Like, I think parents have been coming and saying, like, what do I do? What do I do? And sometimes the best thing that you can do is just focus on the, the parenting mm. um, and just focus mm. on who you're raising. I think there's a quote that says the, the greatest con contr contribution may not be what you do but someone you raise or something like that and mm. and i just find that so true that when i'm actually being very aware and, and conscious of how i'm allowing my children to you know be who they are that that's my greatest contributor um mm. contribution to to this new world is 
self-love and self-acceptance. It was a very, very similar statement that my uncle made on his deathbed that sparked my journey to gentle parenting. And he told me, at the end of your life, when all is said and done, you're not going to look back and think about anything. And the only thing that's going to matter to you, he said, nothing at the end of your life is going to matter to you except for your children and how well they are doing. Mm. You know, and he said, wow. if they're not doing so well, then it's going to be really hard to go. And, you know, you're going to go with a lot of pain and fear. And he said, if they're doing all right, then you can go with a lot of comfort and feel good about that. And, you know, he really imparted that to me in his last week of his life in, in a really deep statement that impacted me moving forward that, you know, to me, that goal of helping my children be what would feel safe and all right and good to me at the end of the last of my life. And um, I put that in my focal point is that thing that became of such importance to me because I recognized the truth in his words that, you know, at the final hour, that is really going to matter to us the most is our children and how safe they are. Yeah, for sure. So Leslie, in these, in these, um, in these times where there's so much going on, uh, there's so much more awareness of different things happening in the world. Uh, the, the, the thing with COVID we, is so uncertain. We don't really know where it's going. And, uh, and there's, yeah, there's just so much happening, you know? Um, I'm curious, what, what, when you're working with parents so much and you're working on all the different um, aspects, excuse me, all the different aspects of parenting that you are and the social justice, if you could share something that you think is most important for parents to know that they could take to heart and take into their relationship with their kids and the relationship with themselves, what would you want to share with them? Yeah, I would want to share that, you know, the truth about who we are as parents can be found in relationship with our children. Um, and I think that when we are in connection with them, we all know what that feels like. You know, it feels like being in the present moment. It feels like a really, um, really pure moment. And so if we can strive to have enough of those moments um, and increase the quality of our connection with our children, even when it's hard, you know, mm. even when we feel like we don't have the resources, right? Um, and I think that w another thing that is, is so challenging about this time is that we don't have the, the support or we feel like we can't reach out for the support, you know? And, and so I, I also want to share like we, this is a time where we actually need to build community that much more than, mm -hmm. than before. Um, mm -hmm. We need to allow ourselves to reach out for more support than we did before. Um, and I know that there's, you know, so the, the term is social distancing, but actually we need more social connection yeah. um, to help us through this because we, we, it never was intended for us to raise our children alone. Right. Um, this is a really bizarre time. I think even before COVID where a lot of us don't even know our neighbors. You know? Mm, for so, sure. Mm -hmm. and so as much as we can reach out to whoever, you know, whoever feels like a safe space and to really start to try to process some of these things. I think that that's going to allow us to be in those moments of connection with our children, because if we find ourselves so depleted and so starved for connection, we're not going to be able to give that to our children. 
Um, mm. And so I think for me, it's been twofold where I've had to really push myself and, and try to um, try to accept the support that's there and, and know that it's there. And I, you know, I want, I want to really encourage parents to not be shy. I think a lot of us were, were shamed out of asking for support. <laughs> Totally. Totally. So if we asked for help, it was like we were a burden. And so I think a lot of us are working through this idea that we're burdens and we're not burdens and we deserve that support. Um, And especially now, you know, especially now that that COVID has kind of taken over everything, we need to make sure that we are feeling in community so that we can give that connection to our children because they're struggling too. You know, they're really, um, they, they miss their friends. My daughter right. does that every day. You know, I really want to see my friends. I want to see this mm-hmm. person. And, and mm-hmm. so holding that space, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to say, yeah, you can go. I'm going to drop you off at your friends tomorrow. <laughs> right. Friends the next day. And, um, but we need to be able to at least hold that space for them, you know, yeah. and do it in a way that, that honors their experience and doesn't negate the difficulty of their experience because we're also dealing with the difficulty of ours. And so it's a process, you know, we need to, again, I'm sure that you've said this a million times, but you start with the being gentle of ourselves first. Right. Gentle with ourselves first. So there's, there's a lot. I mean, I think I, you know, we could go on a whole other hour, I think about what could be supported to parents. um, You know, I am most certain that I could go on talking to you for a whole other hour, Leslie. Um, (laughs) I've just really, really loved and resonated with and related to everything that you've shared here. Um, I always appreciate, like I was saying in the beginning of the call, a lot of the stuff that you share um, is focused in being trauma-informed, which is so big it's right down at the like core foundation of everything we're doing and so I was already a fan of your work and already really had appreciation for what you do but you know after talking to you I'm just I'm I'm starstruck you are amazing <laughs> oh, thank you so much I'm starstruck I've been following you all for a really long time and I'm amazed at the work that you're doing so thank you oh, thank mm. you so much for saying that Leslie we we certainly uh dedicate our lives to helping people, you know, and that's, uh, it's always a, a blessing when, when we hear how people's lives are changing because of it. It's, it's just, uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's a great way to live. I feel very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And I certainly learn from you all the time, Leslie, like when we were, we interact online a lot and, yeah. uh, and especially these days we seem to be interacting even more. And, uh, and I just learn from you all the time. I love the way you think and I love the way you, uh, you know, t- t- tease things apart and understand their parts and understand what's underneath. And I'm learning, and it's always increasing my ability to do that too when I when I read stuff that you write. So I really appreciate our, our relationship and our friendship. Yeah, likewise. I just, this community, I mean, I think, you know, especially those of us who, who are parent educators and parent coaches, and th- there's just such a, um, a uniqueness of this of this community. Those of us who are really not only doing the inner work and not only doing the work with parents, but really striving to change that paradigm for the collective. I just think that that's such a, I'm honored to be in this space. Yeah. (laughs) Same friend. Same. Yeah. And so uh, before we go, I'd love to hear if you have anything that you'd like our uh, listeners to know about you or any offerings that you have coming up. 
and maybe re, you know share out your where we can where people can find your writings and stuff again so that people can get in touch with you sure so i'm working on trying to get some of the online classes that i've done available um, and some of them are around our mother wounds and some of them are around reparenting which we talked about earlier um, yeah. and so when that's announced i'm going to be announcing it to my newsletter subscribers first and so if people want to go on to latinxparenting.org. It's L-A-T-I-N-X parenting.org. Um, and the first thing that you'll see is the subscribe box. And so that's a really good way to just keep in touch and, and know what's, um, what's coming. And another way is, again, via Instagram. So it's just at Latinx Parenting. And then Facebook, of course. Um, the Facebook page is Latinx Parenting. And so I have things that are scheduled but are not yet on the website. So once those are announced, um, newsletter subscribers will see it, and I'm sure that you all will see it on Facebook as well. Wonderful. So, Leslie, um, you had also mentioned that you um, do do. <laughs> you do. Yeah, I said do do. That you do um, take on coaching clients for one-on-one -on -one family coaching and stuff like that um, in a very limited amount if somebody wanted to reach out to you to schedule a session what would be the best way for them to do that they could go on the website and it's latinxparenting.org slash coaching um i am only i do want to be clear i'm only taking um black indigenous or people of color or latinx identifying folks for the moment um and so that's important to know <laughs> yes yes because um you know we we've gone over that quite a bit in the call but again to be really clear your your work focuses around this anti-oppression work and um the way that you teach definitely um it depends on the culture of the people as opposed to you know um you you mentioned that how you would tr teach a white family is very different than how you would teach a uh um poc and their cultures and the way that you're addressing things right yeah, that's really important. And I, mean, I think that that's a big reason why I created Latinx Parenting was because I didn't find myself represented um, in a lot of the, the gentle parenting platforms. Um, and so I really wanted to make sure that people who identified as Latinx and had, you know, this, this shared background of coming from these very unique practices in Latin America um, could have that space. And so I've so far, I've been just amazed and in awe by, by people resonating with this message and really wanting to, to shift and to break um, cycles. So, yes, I'm, I'm very much specific to, um, to Latinx folks, but obviously, you know, there's, there's other people who are in interracial, interracial marriages, and, um, and so I work with them as well. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the show with us. The show. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us today. We really appreciate uh, appreciate you. We'd love to have you again sometime. Yeah, of course. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun talking to you. This is our first time just having a conversation like this. Our, our interactions have been mostly online, so I really enjoyed it very much. Oh, I had such fun. Thank you so much, Vivek. Thank you, CJ. I appreciate you both. I Wonderful. really enjoyed myself deeply as well. Thank you for being here today, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you all.